just to do one more vision of Jesus, and that we call the Transfiguration. It's there number seven. And again, that's the one where he goes up the mountain and is transfigured. His clothes became as white as snow, and the hair is the voice, and so forth. So let's unpack that one again. Because when you look at the Gospels, everything has been going swimmingly after the first beginnings of Jesus' ministry. The people are delighted, they flock to him, and he's, he speaks to them for hours, and he heals their illnesses, and cures them, and so forth, and is giving them literally good news, the Gospel. God is close to you. He believes in you. You don't have to be powerful and rich to be fine favour with God. And the people, ordinary people, are flock to him. But then the crowd in Jerusalem, the, the cardinals and the bishops and the popes of the day hear about him and they send out their spies to hear what he's saying. And they begin to raise objections and to make things more and more difficult for him. And they contradict him at every turn. And now he's faced with a dilemma. I thought I had got clear in my head what God's message was that I was to preach. And yet here are the official church, as it were, coming down and objecting to everything I'm saying. So both of us can't be right. One is right and the other is wrong. Because they're diametrically opposed. So I think he was greatly confused at that time. And that's why he hived off and went up the mountain with just his three closest friends. Peter, James and John, to get away from it all and to try and clear his head. And he went up and stayed there for as long as it took in quiet and in prayer to try and find an answer to his problem. Who's right? Are they right or am I right? Because there'll be nothing worse than trying to twisting God's word. And if they're right and I'm wrong, I am doing a terrible thing to God. Hmm? I'm twisting God's work. So you can see his personal anguish about this whole thing. And then he gets his answer. And again, it is an extraordinary divine experience of the divine coming close to him. And again, it's put in words that we're trying to express the inexpressible. His clothes became like, like snow. That amazing experience came over him. And, he, and then he heard the same words as he heard at the Jordan. And that was the confirmation. And then to further give the confirmation that he had heard the Lord correctly at the Jordan and understood him correctly, he was seen talking to Moses and Elijah. Who are Moses and Elijah? The greatest revealers of God in the Old Testament. Moses, the great lawgiver, and then Elijah, the great prophet, revealer of God. So to be put in their company you couldn't be put in higher company because they're the two great ones who stood for God in the Old Testament. And for Jesus to be put on the same level as them means everything. Uh, but that's what it's really about. And you see the discernment, he again goes through the process and the prayer and the agonizing and then he waits for, and he gets the confirmation. And it doesn't mean that everything is going to flow easily and beautifully and nicely from then on, but it does give him the power. But he does say when they come down from the mountain, he turned his face towards Jerusalem and he told them again about what was going to happen in there. He would be treated, mistreated by the scribes and crucified. But now he had the power and the strength to face into it. So it's very instructive when you look at it from that point of view that the visions of Jesus, and you could do the same work with his experience in the garden where he had a, a breakdown, a mental, an emotional breakdown. His sweat came out, 
as big as drops of blood. That is, only happens a person when they're in severe and deep shock. Have you ever seen a person in severe? After a car accident or something, the, the, the sweat comes out as big as that. Jesus had a breakdown in the garden. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And he prayed. And of course the others fell asleep. And he prayed. And then he got his hand. He stuck at it. And the final temptation, of course, was on the cross. Why have you abandoned me? And he stayed with it. He stayed with it. Into your hands. So it's, it's, an, it's an amazing um, pattern when you look through the Gospels from that perspective. Uh, him having to go deeper and deeper and deeper into his own resources because everything has been stripped away from him by the authorities, the Pope and bishops of the day, and etc., etc. And then even his clothes are taken off him. And he has to find his God in that darkness. So it's an amazing uh, pattern when you see that. And therefore all the more powerful is the resurrection when it comes. And all the more powerful was its effect then on those who ran away, the closest friends who betrayed him, and the fact that he took them back. You're betrayed by your closest friends, and what's the first thing you do? Not put your arm around them, is it? That's what he did. I don't know how he did it.